is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am so thrilled to welcome a friend and a colleague, Joan Cool, to the show. Joan, welcome back. Thank you, Caroline. I love spending time with you. I'm really excited to dive into a a wonderful conversation about women and how we can dig in for workplace equality. You know, Joan, we all hear about the boys clubs, the systemic gender inequality, pay gaps. And from my vantage point as a leadership coach, many women are fleeing from corporate America, but you have a more hopeful message. You're saying we should encourage women to consider digging in their heels. So tell me more about that. Well, absolutely. Because of the things that you mentioned, gender inequality at every turn, the the huge wage gap, the imbalance in family benefits. I mean, there's so many reasons why women are leaving the corporate world in droves. And it's not just to have a baby. There are so many other opportunities available. Uh, But at the same time, you know, as we glamorize these messages about uh, job hopping and doing your own thing, you know, my concern is that we're not giving enough tools and empowering messages to women that want to have the courage to stay and disrupt the bias and transform their companies. And that's, albeit a different route, but one that's going to have an extraordinary impact for all of us in the long term. And because of my research and working with women in large global corporations and top 20 business schools over the past several years, I've met the trailblazers that have really held their ground, played the long game, and they are disrupting those systems that weren't built for us and making sure we get what we deserve. So that's my mission is really to build more endurance and give more women the courage to go after what they deserve. That's exciting disruption. I'm I'm really looking forward to talking with you more about it. And Joan, just so the audience knows, you're the founder of Why Millennials Matter, and you've done some incredible work with our younger professionals. But I think this message is multi-generational. And I want to ask, how can women really navigate the decision of, should I stay or should I go? Because it's very personal and unique for each woman. Absolutely. And so I launched Why Millennials Matter because after spending 14 years in uh, corporate America, and I loved my career and I loved what I was doing, uh, but I was always really attached to coaching, mentoring, and supporting the next generation of leaders. That's how I came to be where I am today, having mentors, being in youth leadership programs. And as I was doing all of that work, the research, the consulting, the uh, speaking and training, I quickly realized that what millennials want is what women deserve, the flexibility, the meaning and purpose, the valuable relationships with mentors and sponsors and and financial security, all all of these things that that we still do not have access to consistently. And so what I I found was really important for for all women in making that decision is to have some more guidance to think it through. One thing I do know is that we are extraordinary in our analytical skills and our critical thinking. Although the world tells us we're emotional and flighty, I know for a fact, fielding through the research and auditing it, that we're actually not. In more cases, we actually have stronger analytical skills than men. Let's say out of 32 studies, about six of them said that we had more. The rest of them, we came out about even. So we're not flighty. We're not emotional. But 
because we have so many demands on us at work and at home, it, we sometimes feel forced to make these decisions in a vacuum because it is very appealing when an offer comes that seems like it, it provides us those things that we desire, whether it is you know, more flexibility in our schedule or oftentimes I tell women, you can get a bigger title, more pay and bigger responsibilities by leaving today. But what happens to the place that's paying your paycheck today? How do we make sure the systems that you know, the politics that you've dealt with, who knows it better than you to be the one to be the catalyst to change it from within? And so that's why, you know, I lead these webinars. I, I go through it in the book, really the, the, ref, the reflection exercise, to help you think about all those key factors that go into making that decision. I don't make it for you, but I've seen it proven time and time again that if I can be that partner to women to help them think about the big picture, um, that they can have more confidence and conviction in their final decision. And thank you for, for sharing this message that each woman can be her own catalyst for change. And I, I want to share the title of your book because I absolutely love it. Dig your heels in, navigate corporate BS, and build the company you deserve. And what I love about that message is we each have so much more power and control than perhaps we're activating on to build the company that we want in our very own organizations now. Would you agree? Absolutely. And you do not have to have superhuman powers. You do not have to have massive resources and this enormous budget. And sometimes people see that I've worked with you know, organizations like Goldman Sachs, Eli Lilly, Johnson & Johnson, the New York Mets, U.S. Soccer, big companies. But I've also worked with nonprofits. I've also looked, worked with chambers of commerce. I've worked with communities. And at the end of the day, it does start with a mindset of wanting to be that person that changes it from within. And that mindset is about recognizing recognizing and owning our power. And so I think for women, you know, help them break it down and think about just the, the case for change, how much data we have that supports our power and influence as consumers, as talent in the workforce, as decision makers, from you know housing to healthcare. And I think when you have the facts and the data behind you, that helps women realize, oh, wait, I really do have all the control here and I don't have to to, to turn the Titanic tomorrow. This is playing the long game. You know, that's the endurance part and the courage part and why you need allies and you can't do it alone. It is a long game. You're absolutely right. It, it's, it's a marathon and we need to be mindful of that. So Joan, you talk about taking control of your own personal growth and professional development. What's what's a baby step that, that a woman listening might move toward to take more advantage of advancing her career? Well, what's interesting is in one of the global studies I did around millennials, we actually found out that companies were paying on average $1,200 for the growth and development uh, of their new employees. I mean, that a laptop computer and getting that set up is, is, is more than that. So you do have to take control of it because even if your organization has some fantastic corporate university um, or they have a lack of a budget for you to do enrichment or education programs, there are so much free content out there. The part of it that ha that is uh, paralyzing is how overwhelming that can be to curate it. So when I say take control of your, your own growth and development, I really have this process that I walk women through about first thinking about where you want to go. 
and what the gap is to get there in terms of skills and not to be overwhelming about it. And one of the easiest things that I love to advocate for, and I think that you believe in too, is encouraging women to go to community events or conferences, whether it's around their industry, whether it's around their community or a theme, sports or whatever it is. You know, there's so many conferences. And people used to think that, oh, you know, you go to these things. I, I remember an executive telling me one time, oh, we don't we don't pay for membership for you to go to industry associations like that because you're just shopping for a better job. You don't get anything out of it. When Sean Accor, well-known Harvard professor, best-selling author, friend of Oprah, proved in research that women who attended women's conferences specifically increased their financial gains from it as well as their happiness, really their contentment and their fulfillment. And I I share and break down that study in the book as well. That's awesome. Great, great message. You also talk about engaging your employee women's network. So it's not just internal to your organization, right? It's external with conferences and those kinds of professional development experiences that you just mentioned. I really believe in employee resource groups and women's networks. Uh, They are so critical. And um, it's been a lot of organizations have, you have like your women's network, LGBTQ network, African-American network. There's a number of those that they, they first started to be able to build community and really a safe space, a sanctuary for people that, you know, shared some similar attribute. Um, And then slowly organizations started to realize, okay, well, this could be an opportunity for us in recruiting, you know, having people that they can see that look like them, that, you know, helps them believe that their diverse perspective will be valued. But the the real future, the real engine and the companies that are leading the way with women's networks, or when they figure out that this is a business resource group and that women's networks in particular can push the company from an operational perspective, a strategic planning perspective to rethink every step of the way of how they connect with their customers, their products and their services. And, you know, it has that scalability factor and it's not just, you know, and I guess the thing I'll say about it is this, is this is not just a social thing. This is a business, um, you know, network community and, uh, you know, a real tool to enable women in your organization and bring on men as allies um, for them to innovate. And that's why companies need to put more resources in it. They need to fund them more than, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year, need to put a real investment in it. And they also need to allow women that are leaders in these organizations to have devoted time. They shouldn't be doing this on top of their day job that they're already doing 150%. They should have car out time because they recognize and value their contribution. Love, love, love all of that. Joan, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. 
So Joan, you write so beautifully in the book about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is sponsorship. But why is sponsorship so elusive for many women? We're getting better. We're getting better. But I think the men have been doing it really well for decades. Well, women are historically over-mentored and under-sponsored because I think that we look at this ideal relationship, someone that's going to match our entire value scorecard of their you know, personal accomplishments and desires and their professional, and we look at it to be a bit like soft and fuzzy. And mentorship is hugely valuable. It's again, I wouldn't be where I am today without the mentors had in my life. Sponsorship is tricky. Sponsorship very clearly is somebody in a position of power and influence. They have to be a senior leader in your organization, you know, or in your industry that has decision-making power over your pay, over your growth, your acceleration of your career can open doors and close them and can provide you with air cover. And you don't always know who that person is. I can tell you once I really figured out what that term was and I looked back on my career and realized who must have been in certain rooms to identify me as high potential or to put my name in the hat for something, it was sometimes the person that was the hardest on me that you know saw me present in certain rooms. And so it's an elusive concept. And, and for women too, that means we got to put ourselves in a lot of different situations. Um, we can't just put our head down and depend on the myth of meritocracy. We have to be very strategic about our exposure and our, you know, our relationships, our, our branding to make sure that those individuals right now are going to be predominantly men when you have male-dominated organizations can see us and see what we're made of in our talent. I couldn't agree more. And I'd, I'd love to dive a little deeper. So s- millions of women are listening. Very exciting. When they're trying to advocate for themselves and their respective organizations, what's the best way for them to arm themselves to get the best possible outcome? How can they be seen and heard more consistently? How can they attract sponsors? Because you have to earn that relationship. You know, it's not like a mentor where you can ask for it. You earn it. Absolutely. So step one, uh, you have to be seen as, as, as high potential. You have to be somebody that is, um, you know, putting in your best effort, someone that is driving results. Like that's just, you know, you have to check the box there and, and, and show commitment. I think that I'm going to touch on two, two topics. One is loyalty. And so that's why I talk about this in the book that, I mean, that's the whole concept of digging your heels in and, and, and proving that you you are going to play the long game and you're going to change that organization and that you're not scared to try and stand up and speak out. So proving that you're loyal to the organization, that's going to get attention too, because when you start really thinking about yourself and the organization as one, like I believe that the things that I'm experiencing in my life, whether it's a health crisis or just a, you know, a decision about how I buy or purchase something based on my, my personal habits as a, as a woman or what's going on in my, my life. If I can talk about that in a way that fits into the context of the business that I'm a part of and say, you're missing the boat here. There's this thing that you're not seeing that I see. And we're, you know, money is on the table that we're, we're, we're not going after. I think, you know, it's again saying like, I'm on board, but you have to flex with me. So there's this loyalty piece. I think the second is that, um, just, uh, I think really, I, I don't want women that are introverted to feel like they have to change themselves or become braggadocious. I don't know. I, I've, I've interviewed women that have moved to the U.S. from different countries, and it's just not their nature to you know speak out or speak up. So I think, but you have to find a way for your results 
to be visible. And you have to figure out what you're comfortable with. And so here's my second kind of unique example is that idea of amplification. And don't think you have to do things alone. So if you have another, a friend, a woman, a colleague, a male colleague that you can have as an ally that you say, you know, in your corner as a sounding board, here's the things that I'm really trying to make strides on. And I want, you know, to get the credit for, you know, will you help reference my work and I will do the same for you. I I see this actually a lot with millennials. And that's one of the things that I've been urging Gen X and baby boomers as well to say, you know, this is not a dog eat dog world. Like this is, let's find the people that also want to change this company with us and let's, you know, amplify their best results. So it's really about um, that amplification and also that loyalty. I would, I would encourage women to think about. Excellent points. You write so beautifully about how if we as women don't disrupt bias in our companies, they won't change. Now, you and I both know that the the concept is that people don't necessarily leave the organization, they leave a bad boss. So if you do have a boss that's a roadblock, someone who is the umbrella blocking your sunlight, right? What's your advice to that woman? Does she dig her heels in? Is there a way to work around that bad boss? Or is the workaround to find a new boss? And that right there, I mean, because you're right, people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. That's the number one reason. If that is the only person in your network, the only person that you are building a relationship with, or even if there's lack of relationship, but they're the main person that's controlling your future, you're not set up for success. And I have even interviewed women that have had great relationships with their bosses and were promoted every two years. Yet when push came to shove and they wanted to broaden you know, their experiences, um, people in the room that make those decisions when it's a group of managers have no idea what to attribute them to because the boss all along was kind of getting the credit for it and, and not that specific person. So I think that there's that, that part about growing your relationships and really, you know, being intentional about it, which I know a lot of women are like, oh, I don't, I don't have the time. I don't feel like that. But having rich and healthy and meaningful relationships is what makes us more engaged and show up to work. And that's why do you have a best friend at work is still like the question on the Gallup engagement survey of, you know, are you engaged? So definitely that relationship part. And I I think making sure that you have those connections with people that are earlier in their career stage at your level and at more senior level, and they don't have to be in your department. It's just having that spider web um, of relationships to lean on, uh, you know, I think to, to really help you move around. I like the imagery of the spider web. That's great. So, Joan, you're such a champion for pay equity. And again, we're, we're moving the needle slowly and surely, but there's clearly more work to be done. So for the women listening, what is the, the one proactive step that they can take to, to uh, move that needle in the right direction for pay equity? I think we have to talk about money with each other more. It's so taboo. I've interviewed um, on, on my Forbes blog, you can see a number of, of women that are executives in financial and wealth management. And they'll even say of themselves and their friends, women can be bankers and not be great with their own money or be timid about it. And you know, you can't go on salary.com and figure out what you're worth. That's just not how this this happens. And you have to really talk to other people that um, you know have gone your same journey, maybe have the same type of degree masters in education otherwise and start to figure that out. I think we also have to really make sure that we're getting what you know we deserve 
in society too. I, I, I tell a story. Um, I told a story when I uh, uh, launched Dig Your Heels In about growing up with my mom. A chunk of my childhood was just the two of us and how when she finally had saved enough money for us to move out of my grandparents' home and buy our first apartment, they added two and a half percentage points onto our mortgage loan specifically because she was a single mother and they said that was a high risk factor. That's biased. That's discrimination. And there's things like that that happen often. And so we just have to be really knowledgeable and not ignorant that, you know, this 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 happens in every aspect of life. So kind of understanding our worth and constantly negotiating and learning as much as we can. Joan, I've always appreciated your candor and your transparency. And in the book, you do talk about behaviors that hold women back. So give us an example and and how we work through that. Imposter syndrome and good girl thinking are the two that have come up most frequently in talking to women. So, you know, imposter syndrome is that whole idea of you may have all the proven results, but yet you don't feel like, you know, you're worthy to go after a certain promotion or you're deserving of it. You doubt yourself. You don't like speak out at a meeting or you don't raise your hand for the big assignment because historically women feel like we have to check every box, hit every qualification mark. And, and and why? It's not our fault. It's because of the performance bias placed on us. Um, because for a long time, women were judged on their past performance. Prove to me that you can, you've got the results to take on this opportunity. Whereas men were judged on their potential. We assumed they had the results and the performance. So because of that bias in the system, you know, it, it puts this self-doubt. We don't lack confidence all the time, although I really do believe in um, Kitty K and Claire Shipman's confidence code. It's really just about how we need to overcome that evil little DJ that usually in the middle of the night, for me at least, like spins our worst like playlist and just get real with it. What's the thing holding us back? What's the thing that we're so insecure about that we think makes us not as worthy for something and really start to tackle it. So there's a lot of strategies for that. And the last one is good girl thinking. You know, as a mother of two daughters, I want my girls to have good manners, but what's the the, the uh, tightrope that I'm putting them on of, of shrinking themselves because they're expected to behave like a good girl and not speak up and speak out? And I just learned last night at a girls' leadership event that by middle school, girls confidence erodes by 30% as boys continue to escalate. And we continue to decline in our confidence, even leaving college with less confidence that we started. It doesn't come back until guess what age? Our 40s. So yeah, and it's just this whole thing of, you know, you have to be nice, but not too nice. Uh, You have to be, uh, you know, a leader, but not bossy or ambitious, or we're going to, you know, penalize you for that. So it's a, it's a real tough tightrope that women have to just be comfortable with. And I think the solution there is to work on conflict skills. I don't think we're properly taught that growing up, how to you know handle constructive conflict in our personal lives and our professional lives. And that's one of the things that I really encourage women to think about. Joan, you are an inspiration and your new book is called Dig Your Heels In, Navigate Corporate BS and Build the Company You Deserve. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. What a pleasure to have you on. And I learned so much and I'm eager to share your book widely. Thank you, Caroline. I love being with you. 
Thanks, Joan. And hey, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps people find us online. And let us know what career-minded issues you'd like to hear on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special shout out to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for the extraordinary work you do to make this show awesome for our audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.